You can be seated. And um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, it really helps to go there. And if you have a pen or a pencil to take notes, trust me, it helps to kind of remind yourself what the Lord may be doing in your life. And it's kind of cool. We're coming back. We're slowly starting to come back. And today we're doing communion with kneelers for the first time in like 450 something odd days. Like, can you believe that? Like, that's crazy. And I don't think anybody here is wearing a mask. Like, whoo. Okay. Just pray that COVID-20 doesn't happen. All right. You know, this, this COVID season has been kind of strange because it's introduced some new things into my life that um, I don't know if it's introduced new things in you. And yes, I can smell those tacos. Wow. It's going to be hard, isn't it? <laughs> okay, Lord, help me compete with tacos. I can do it. But uh, one of the things uh, that I found myself doing, and I kind of still do, and have you done this? I go to Zillow and look at houses. I don't even want to move. Have y'all ever done that? And okay, here it's voyeuristic a little bit because I'm not looking at the house to go, would I buy that house? I'm looking at the house because I want to see what's in the house. Like, what do these people have? Especially when they give you a shot of the garage and you go, hmm, like you immediately begin to see what these people value. In fact, uh, some people collect a bunch of toys that they put in their garage. Some people are putting in their garage like high-end cars. Some people put in their house pictures of their families and climbing mountains, you know, and, you know, swimming across the Nile. And some people have like, you know, these um, awards on the wall, things that they've achieved. It just shows that, uh, that all of us are collecting stuff. And if somehow or another we could do a Zillow tour of your life, would we be able to see what you collect? When, uh, when my kids were little, and um, one of them sitting right here, but when they were like little, um, you know, when they were approaching two years old, they became what we call super grabbers. You know what I'm talking about? They grabbed everything. Like you had to move anything of value or anything that would break out of their reach because they're, they're just wanting to grab it. And we would go to the grocery store. We were joking about this the other day. We, we would go to the grocery store and it's insanity going to a grocery store with a little kid because they just want to grab everything. They want to grab it and throw it in the cart, grab it and throw it in the cart. And you're constantly taking stuff out of the cart and going, no. And as soon as they throw something in the cart, their attention now goes to something else to where they're grabbing, but they're constantly doing that. And I think that as we get older, we never graduate out of that, that we're still grabbers, that we're still grabbing for a lot of things in our lives. The question is, do you know what you're grabbing for? Do you have a clear picture of what your heart is gravitating to and spending your life trying to grab. Well, that's what this passage is about today. It's talking about, um, do you know what you're grabbing? And this is kind of a, this is a classic passage because um, believe it or not, these few verses are what launched Midtown 20 years ago. Th these couple of verses about, uh, about Jesus. And before we can talk about these two verses, let me just kind of set the stage because what we've been talking about is that when Christ came into this world, uh, we were, the Bible says we were empty vessels, that not just empty, but what was in us was sin and that we were filthy. And when Christ went to the cross, 
Christ, uh, through his work on the cross, we are forgiven of all of our sins. In fact, Christ completely cleaned us up. Um, and through our sins, as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more, the wrath of God was appeased, and God has no wrath for me anymore. And if we stopped there at the cross, then we'd have to ask, well, did Jesus just to clean us up, to put us up on this mantle, and you know, just point to us and see, look at what marvelous work I do, and that we're just these empty trophies of God's grace? And we've been talking about, no, that's not at all, that when Jesus talks about emptying himself at the cross, he emptied himself because through the resurrection, then he fills us up. And this whole chapter in Philippians chapter three is Paul going, do you know that? When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, work this stuff on the inside to the outside of your life. Like, and do it with fear and trembling, meaning do it with awe in awe of what God has put inside of you. And what does he put inside of you? We talked about this a few weeks ago. He's put righteousness. He's put holiness. He's put, get this, he has put the Holy Spirit inside of you, the third member of the Trinity, that we now have become temples of the living God. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is dwelling within you. I know, it's mind-blowing. Scripture even says it's a mystery. But in addition to those things, as if we need more than that, he's put inside of us riches and hope and power. He's given you purpose. Do you know that if Christ has cleaned you up and filled you up, he has given you spiritual gifts that have divine purpose and there are works that God has prepared before the creation of the world for you to walk in that you've been uniquely filled and uniquely gifted to now walk into the power of what he's called you to walk into. Wow, we have a destiny. This new life. And if all of that's still not enough, he's given you a family called the church. We're not orphans anymore. We are sons and daughters, which challenges the way we live our lives. And Paul in this passage, as, as he comes to speak these things, it just sounds kind of boring. You say, why? Because... Nobody in this room, when I just said those things, went, that's outrageous. Nobody, nobody stood up in the back and go, come on, you gotta be kidding me. This guy sitting next to me has the Holy Spirit in him. He hasn't bathed in two days. <laughs> Nobody's done that. Like, it's just it's church stuff. And I gotta tell you, if you go to Midtown, just get prepared, because this is all you're ever gonna hear. This is it. Because when you go to a religious organization, they're gonna teach you how to find God, but when you come to the good news, which we call the gospel, we say God has found you. If you want religion, it'll tell you what you must do, but the good news is what Jesus has already done. If you want good religion, it will teach you how to earn the pleasure of God, but if you want good news, it is that you have already earned the pleasure of God even when you were his enemy and he dances over you with rejoicing and kisses you. Grasp that. If you want religion, it says, I do so that I get. I'm gonna pray a lot, God will be for me. He'll make that deal come through or fix my relationships. But the good news is we do because we have. 
We are not the people to work towards something. We're the people that are working out of something. If you want religion, it'll tell you that you better hold on to Jesus because he's slippery. But if you come to the good news, you find that it's actually Jesus who's holding on to you. And he's up for the task. So, can we dive into it? Because this passage that we're about to read today is, uh, it's a humdinger, all right? Because if I haven't blown your mind, I'm gonna try to blow your mind, all right? Um, and I'm gonna try to get in your chili, as we call it around here. We're gonna mess around in your spaghetti bowl. All right, so, Melissa, are you gonna come and read the passage for us? She's reading out of Deuteronomy. No, I'm joking. I think you're, you're over there. But you're always welcome up here, all right? <laughs> this is Philippians chapter three, verse 12 through verse 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that um, you would be gracious to us and bless us with revelation about ourselves and about you. I pray you be kind with us, Father, uh, but not so kind that you would spare us uh, the strength of your grace, which sometimes uh, comforts and sometimes rebukes, but you know us, so... Do what you need to do. Um, we pray, Father, in Christ's name, amen. So Paul is starting this passage by saying, I know this is remarkable what we've been talking about. And he, and he goes, hey guys, I'm not saying that I have fully understood how to work out on the inside all that's on the inside. He's saying, I'm still a work in progress. I've not gotten there. When Jesus comes back, I'll see him and then I'll be like him. And then, then it'll all be complete. I'm not there yet. But in this stage of not there yet, listen to what he says. I don't just sit back and go, well, Jesus did it all. You know, just Jesus plus nothing. And so I'm just gonna just sit back and you know, I'm gonna just enjoy my life making tents. Now Paul said, I'm doing something. And what he's doing, I'm gonna challenge you to do. So you with me? Okay, the first thing he says is, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. So the first thing he's saying is, I'm taking hold of what already has hold of me. Now grasp this, this is kind of a crazy concept that Paul is saying something has me. And I know that it has me. And I'm turning around and I'm gonna have what halves me. The best way to explain this, and I'm just stuck on my kids when they were little, all right? We used to belong to Wildwood Pool, which is down in Wildwood neighborhood. And um, we spent a lot of time in that pool. In fact, I, I'm sure our family changed the color of that pool many, many summers <laughs> with little kids. and. We joined that pool when our kids had a hard time swimming 
And so, um, as a good father, I would get out in the water with them and start to wade into the pool, holding them in my hands. And then they would begin to be aware of the fact that we're in water that's over their head. And when they begin to realize I'm in water over my head, they begin to freak out a little bit and panic a little bit. And what do they do? They put their arms around my neck and they begin to squeeze very tightly. And because they don't want to let go, their fear is causing them to have a death grip on my neck. And literally, a death grip choking me out, you know, we're both gonna go under the water. You know that you're working against the will of your father here, you know? (laughs) That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, hey, Jesus has a death grip on you, so you better put a death grip on him. No, because let me tell you what happened with my kids. When my kids began to realize, oh, dad's not in over his head. Oh, dad knows how to swim. Oh, dad is not out of of his element. Oh, dad loves me. Oh, dad's not gonna let anything happen to me. Dad's got me. Guess what they did? This death group went from here to here. And now as a father, my challenge was to hang on to them because now they were so free that they were gonna jump for the balls and go for the other kids and like, yeah, dad, try to catch me now. Their freedom expressed itself in such an outrageous thing that it challenged everything about me as a father. That's what Paul's talking about. See, scripture says that when this happens, scripture talks about, if you're new to this journey, I'd love to talk to you more about this, but the, the world that we live in is a fear machine. It's just producing fear. I mean, you see it on TV, you see it on the news, you see it in politics, fear, 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 fear. And what the gospel is, is it, it actually says, when you got poured into, God didn't give you a spirit of fear again. He's eradicating that. Instead, he's given you a spirit of freedom. And when you see a, a child in the arms of their kids and they're confident in the grip of their father, they are free. That's what Paul's talking about that we would live free. And here's why we need this, because if you're going to live this journey, like I love doing that, all right? Y'all are gonna slip, somebody's gonna break their neck and you're gonna sue the church. All right, I get it, all right. If you're gonna live free, you're gonna suffer. And Jesus puts it up there, he goes, it's gonna hurt. Why? Because this free living, let me tell you, I'm gonna sum it up in one word, it's gonna look like love. That's the goal of God, that you would live in his love and live out of his love, that you would become a love, a loving person. And if you love, you're gonna suffer because anytime you love, you have to be vulnerable. And anytime you're vulnerable, you suffer. Love your children, you'll suffer. Love your spouse, you'll suffer. Love your roommate, they'll eat your ice cream, you'll suffer. (laughs) It's true, it's sacrifice and suffering. But Jesus says when you live out of that, That freedom life is the only life you want. It's the only life worth living. It's the only life that gives us life. Everything else is hiding. In fact, this is C.S. Lewis. If you've never read some of his books, he's worth a read. But he talks about this and he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. 
It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Because to love is to be vulnerable, and to be vulnerable is to hurt. So how do we do that? How do we live like those kids that know the Father has us? And that for me to grab a hold of Jesus is actually to live in the freedom that he has me. Well, he gives us two ways to do that. Let's talk about them briefly, and then we'll come to the table. Go back to the passage. Look what he says. He says, where is it? He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two ways, forget, press on. So let's talk about them. So what does it mean when Paul says that I forget what is behind? Is Paul got this idea that my past, it's behind me, I don't have rear view mirrors in my life, the past is past, it's water under the bridge, you don't spill over, cry, you, know, you don't cry over spilled milk, like, it is gone. Now, let's just, let's just focus on what's in front of us. Let's go, let's go. Well, the problem with that is just five verses earlier, Paul gave you a five-verse list of his past. So this is strange, Paul. You just gave us your pedigree of your entire past. Now you're telling us to forget about our past. Maybe Paul is saying something different. And maybe he's saying something different to us because... The reality is every one of you have a past. You all have a past. You all have good things in your past. You all have ugly things in your past. You all have painful things in your past. You all have celebration things in your past. And here's the truth. Your past actually has a huge impact on your today. What you've got in your past and how you deal with your past actually has a huge impact on you today. Because all of you, for example, come from a family. All of you do. And let me tell you what families do. Family teaches you what they do. Your family has trained you in the dynamics of your family. In fact, every family has 10 commandments. Like if I was to ask you, what was your family's 10 commandment about conflict? You could probably tell me. Some of you would say, what is conflict? We never dealt with conflict. Are you kidding me? Some of you would say, uh, you know, conflict was all-out war. Some of you would say, never lose. Like, if I said, what was your family's Ten Commandments on sex? Some of you would say, what sex? What a shame. Some of you would, <laughs> would have a completely different view, but if, what was your Ten Commandments in your family on money? What was your Ten Commandments on work? What was the Ten Commandments on play? What was the Ten Commandments on vacations? What was the Ten Commandments on encouragement? What was the Ten Commandments on racism? or race, or other races? What was the Ten Commandments on politics? Like, you would be able to answer all of that. And if you can't, trust me, your kids can. Because they come in my office and ask me to marry them. And the first thing I ask them is, tell me about your family. Why? Because here's what we think. And I'm putting myself in the same category. I'll tell you why in just a second. But we think we fall in love with somebody. And they're awesome. And because you love one another, y'all are gonna build a beautiful home. And you probably will, but you're thinking that I've got this whole little gumbo called my family system, and she's got her whole gumbo called her family system, and we're gonna find them together, and we're gonna make this beautiful combined gumbo. Uh-uh. It hardly ever happens. It doesn't. 
is like taking all the fruit from your life and the fruit from her life and putting it together and having a smoothie, and it's a fruity smoothie. So when Renee and I got married, Renee's my wife, she's my first wife <clears throat> and my current wife. <laughs> so we got married, we'd been married about three weeks and we were in graduate school and we lived in this little bitty cute apartment, you know, big love grows in small places. And, um, and we were sitting down and she'd fix this dinner and it was awesome because she's a great cook. If you don't know, she's amazing. And so we're sitting there and we're talking about what we're gonna do after dinner and she goes, well, what we're gonna do after dinner is we're gonna clean the kitchen. And I'm coming off of, what, almost seven years of being a bachelor single man and I'm like, uh, no. Renee, you don't understand. Just put it all over there. We'll get to the kitchen once a week. <laughs> if it needs it, all right? If it needs it, we'll clean Let's, let's get it from dinner, let's go out. And she's like, no, 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 we're gonna clean the kitchen. And I'm thinking to myself, I think we're in our first fight. I'm like, I think we're about to fight. And I'm like, oh, all right. Because I grew up in a family where conflict was where you get to win your way. You get your way. And so I'm already thinking, okay, here's, I got evidence, man, I'm bringing stuff into the courtroom. You know, I've got proof, like, and then I've got body language, tone, you know, all this stuff. Because in my home, uh, when you had conflict, it was you won if you were the last man standing. And I grew up with all brothers. And when I say last man standing, I'm not talking about that's metaphorical and some kind of Jesus thing, you know, that we ascend to. No, it was like, it was a violent house. And so, but Renee grew up in a home with one sister, all girls. So when I look up, putting all my evidence together, she wasn't there. I'm like, where are you, Renee? And she'd gone to the bathroom and locked herself in the bathroom. <laughs> because what she had learned in her family system is conflict is avoided until it just goes away. And I'm knocking on the door going, I think we're not agreeing right now. <laughs> but see, here's the crazy thing is that our past was now impacting our present. You know, another example of that is my first job was uh, when I was 15. I took a job working for McDonald's. I know, it was horrible. And, uh, and I worked for these two guys. They were retired Marine drill sergeants and they ran this McDonald's. And I still have nightmares of them looking at me going, Drawn, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. I'm like, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'll clean. And, but here's what I learned. Here, I learned two things. One, because my family was not making it financially, and so that was the first day I started taking care of myself. I learned two things. One is, uh, it's up to you and you alone. And second is, the more you work, the more you get paid. And so that became my mantra. So I become a Christian. That's all true about me. That's true. Went to seminary, learned all about it. Then came out of seminary and took my first job. And here's what I did. I worked nonstop. I, all the limits that God puts on our lives, like my limit was I was married. And you, you know, marriage is a limit. And when you're married, you don't live like you're single. 
That, that's kicking against the very limits that God has given you. You embrace the fact that I have a wife that is my second priority in my life. I'm following Jesus and I'm serving her. And yet I kicked against that because my mantra was get to work and work. I had kids. I was kicking against the limit of when you have kids, you can't live your life like you don't have kids. They need your time. They need your comfort. They need long conversations. They need to talk to you about, you know, skinning up their knee and how do I swim in a pool when the water's over my head? You gotta make time for that stuff. And if you don't make time for that, you're kicking against the limits. My past now is crashing into my present. In Exodus chapter 20, these are the words of God. He said, I, the Lord God, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents of the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. You see what God's acknowledging? The sins of your grandfather, the sins of your father, they have fallen on us. And we have taken up our family systems. And if we don't know that, if we don't deal with what we've inherited, it will deal with us. Or it will deal with the people around you. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That person you're married to, when they refuse to deal with their sin, they force you to deal with it. And I think what Paul is saying in this passage when he says, forget your past, is he's saying that we've got to deal with our past in a very different way now. I love this, the writing of Peter Scazzaro. If you've never read him, um, and what I'm talking about is interesting to you, uh, about how our family systems tend to interrupt the very reality of this. His book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is worth a good read. He said, it's impossible to help people break free from their past apart from understanding the family in which they grew up. What he's saying is, you can't put down what you don't know you should put down. He goes on to say, unless we grasp the power of the past on who we are in the present, we will inevitably replace those patterns and relationships inside and outside the church. In other words, if I don't take time to acknowledge what I need to put down, I'm just gonna hang on to it, I'm gonna grab it, I'm gonna fill my, my shopping cart with it, and then I'm gonna repeat those patterns over and over again. And I think what Paul is challenging us to do is to ask Jesus to come and help us now to see what's in our past and see what we need to put down and pour grace over. Now, what does that look like? Well, obviously, you know, we only have about three hours left before we eat tacos. Um, I know, it's... No, we don't have time for that. It may be you need to do a geneogram where you go back and you kind of look at your life or you ask people in your life to help walk me back through my past and, and how you view certain things. But I love in Exodus chapter 50, there's a story about a guy named Joseph. This guy named Joseph, he was abused by his brothers. Like he, he was abused by members of his family. He was mistreated, he was bullied, he was hated by his own family. And they hated him so much, they eventually kidnapped him. And they sold him into human trafficking. They sold him as a slave. His brothers sold him as a slave. And then life didn't get any better. He started to live his life like a slave. Then he was falsely accused of something he never did. And he was thrown into prison, into prison. And while he was in prison, he started to have dreams. And you say, yay, 
really? You go to work tomorrow and tell people, I'm having dreams, and see how they treat you. Really, what are these dreams? I don't know, but I think they're gonna come true. Oh, wow, okay. So this was this guy's life. He had every right to say, I don't trust God. Look at my past. He had every right to say, I don't trust anybody. Look at my past. He had a right to say, I'm only gonna look out for myself. Look at his past. Everybody I loved has turned on me. Well, he began to climb up the ranks. Maybe you know the story. And he eventually became the assistant to Pharaoh because of those dreams. The very things that were obstacles in his life now actually became the doorways that allowed him to be in a position to where he was going to save the entire country. Famine had hit the land. And he was the only guy that was prepared for it. So guess what happens? His brothers, you know, who lived way out in Antioch, decided we gotta go to Egypt or we're gonna die of hunger. And who do they have to appear before? Little old Joe. Do they know it? No way. And here was Joseph's opportunity to lower the boom. And who would blame him? Who would blame him to live out of the pain of his past and inflict pain into the present? But something happened, which I'm challenging you about. Exodus 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. When we go back into our past with the hand of this and grace, something begins to happen. The narrative of our past begins to change from trauma and evil to now good. And it allows us now to forget how we interpreted our past and now remember that God is good for us. It's only when we do that that we will grasp. And this is where I'm finished. He says, the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. What does it mean to strain forward? Well, it's a picture of a race. And what he's saying is, I'm straining forward to run into the arms of the one who has me. And all I'm saying is this for us. When we deal with our past and we forget our interpretation and allow Jesus to put a story over it that's a grace story, and then we strive to him, we do something, and I call it curiosity. In Hebrews chapter five, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people that he's really afraid that they're about to leave all of this behind. He's afraid that y'all don't know what you have, and so you're treating it with trivia that you're grabbing everything else and putting it in your shopping cart, but you're missing out on the most important thing. And listen to what he said to them. He says, we have much to say about this. And what is this? All of this. He calls it the righteousness of Christ and us the hope of glory. He says, we've got much to say about this, but it's hard. It's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, he said, we got tons to teach you about this, but I can't do it because you have no desire to understand it. Do you know that the first step in dealing with my past, saying I'm gonna forget my past and I'm gonna run, is not you doing something, it's just you stirring something. And what are you stirring? Your curiosity to understand all that Christ has done for you. Because when you begin to grasp this, well, 
I'm just gonna tell you, it's gonna mess up your life. I mean, it really is. It's gonna, it's gonna mess up your family system about money because you're gonna become generous. It's gonna change how you walk into other people's lives because you're gonna believe and have hope for people that are impossible to have hope for. It's gonna mess up your life because you're gonna believe that you have purpose and you're gonna step into crazy stuff. Do you know this farmer's market and the work that we're doing in Napier? That didn't exist five years ago. That was because somebody grasped this and said, I, ha I have a belief that we can change the inner cities of Nashville. I'm like, really? So Jonathan moved his whole family with five kids into Napier. You don't think that's messy? And I'm like, well, how's the suffering, brother? How's that suffering? And he goes, I love our community. And if I was to quit my job today, I would never move out of that community. Because I'm telling you, Jesus will mess you up. I'm serious, he will. But if, if you want to protect yourself from all of that, stop being curious. Stop trying to understand. Play it safe. But if you want to know the purpose for what he put you here, if you want to understand your past, if you want to understand the power of your past in a glorious way instead of a hurtful way, get curious. So that's why we come to this table. This table is the gift that God has given us it's the sacrament of communion because he's given this to us to remind us and encourage us to proclaim. Let me read for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, for I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what we're doing at this table? We, we are coming to tell our hearts, remember. Remember, taste it. Smell it. Remember you have been forgiven and he has made you new. And then when you get up from this table, become a proclaimer. And what are, we, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming over our past that we are redeemed. We are sons and daughters. And we're claiming over our fear that we've been set free. We are proclaiming like little kids in their father's arms, he's got me and I've got nothing to be afraid of. That's what this table's about. So here's how we're gonna do it. When the worship team comes in, which We'll see if they come in. Maybe they're eating tacos. Uh, but if they come in, hey, I'm just gonna encourage you, do what you need to do where you are to worship Jesus. Maybe you need to look at your shopping cart and see what you filled it with. And you may have to repent that you have filled it with trivial things. That's okay. His grace is bigger than that. And when you're ready in a state of worship, then use the center aisle or the side aisles, just come on. And um, when you're ready, if you come up here in a state of worship and prayer, when you're ready for us to serve you, if you'll put your hands out. If you need those who are serving to pray for you, just cross your chest and the servers will stop and just join in your journey as the body of Christ, your brother, your sister, in that journey. If you're not comfortable uh, being served by an unmasked server, uh, we have these little uh, self-contained com communion pods in the back and up here. You can come forward, take one of those, go back to your seat and um, celebrate communion.
in that way as well. So let me pray for us. Father, we come to you now and ask that, Lord, you would meet us at this table. That you would search us and help us to see, Father, that past that we all have. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to see our past, invite you into that past, and even go on that journey of, Lord, asking our past now to yield to your grace. And Lord, let us have strength to come and see that we are in the arms of our Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.